0: Okay. Welcome, everybody. We're so happy to be learning with you again um, here at Emotions in Halakha with Ravineet Victoria Sutton. And as you come into the Zoom room, I will accept um, I will invite you to become a panelist. If you accept the invitation, it just means that you can turn your camera on and show us your lovely, smiling faces if you wish to. And it just means you can unmute yourself when Rabbani, um Victoria invites questions and comments. Um, when you're not speaking, we just ask that you keep yourself on mute. It just minimises the background noise so we can all hear each other. Um, And uh, if you prefer, questions and comments are always welcome in the Zoom chat. And if you're joining us on Facebook Live, uh, you can put them in the Facebook comments and I will bring it to the Zoom. Um, I will uh, put the source sheet in the chat for people uh, who don't have it open yet. And with that, I will pass it over to Rabaneet Victoria. Thank you so much hi everybody
1: um, good to see you Um, welcome back if you've been joining us and welcome if this is your first time joining for this series, this is the fourth of five sessions Um last week we looked at shame and embarrassment and I actually since we. Um, There were some sort of questions that we had at the end and I think we didn't really get to look at a few of the sources at the end. So I do wanna start maybe the very beginning part, we'll look at some of the sources and then we'll shift um, to our main topic for this evening. as Elena said, um, I really welcome your questions. If you want to put questions in the chat, I might post questions to the group. Um, you can answer in the chat. You can raise your hand and then unmute. And uh, it's always great to have um, a more interactive and participatory learning environment. Um, so I just want to look back a little bit. Last week, we I it'll connect to what we're doing this evening. I'm, I'm uh sharing my screen here. Second, okay. Um, so last week, we looked at the the um, the emotion of shame and sort of the emotion of embarrassing others. Um, for the most part, we looked at the fact that this is not something that should be done. And in fact, quite the opposite, that as individuals um, and as institutions and as communities, we try to institute as many things as possible. We saw some not we saw some practices that were actually instituted um, best practices to prevent vulnerable situations where people might be embarrassed. Um, we're going to look a little bit back at the question of, um, of tochecha, um, which will connect a little bit to this week's idea of anger, right? When somebody does something and it inspires a really strong um, emotional response, um, our, first, right, our first reaction um, is often to respond. Um, so one way to respond we looked at last week is is um, possibly to call the person out. I looked at the fact that this is actually an important. Sometimes it's important, right? It's actually a mitzvah um, to, in the right way and in the right context and with the right relationship, to call somebody out. Um, we're going to look at one source um, in terms of especially thinking about this week of. of anger, but also thinking of shame, of like, what actually might be an appropriate way, right? Um, Opposite of using shame as trying to be productive. Um, And then we'll look again back at the exceptions that we saw last week, like, are there ever situations where it's called for? Um, And we'll ask a similar question with anger, right? These emotions that for the most part, we try to avoid, but is there ever productive? Is it ever called for in any situation? Um, So this is from Rav Kalanamah Shapira, um, who's also known as the Um, the Ish Kodesh from his famous um, book that he wrote in the Warsaw Ghetto. This he wrote much earlier in the 1920s um, and it was meant to be um, an educational guide for for parents, for educators, and for students. um, Trying to address the ways in which the world had changed and the ways in which maybe the methods that were used to educate um, in previous generations were not gonna work um, in 20th century modern uh, Poland and Warsaw. Um, so he quotes the Shalah, who we'll look at again and today as well in another source, um, and he says that um, there's a pasuk in Mishle, um, mm-hmm. meaning somebody, right, if you try to like improve somebody by calling them out, um, if you do it in the, right, if it's somebody who like doesn't care, um, right. It's only going to make it worse. <laughs> they're only going like, to ignore what you have to say. Um, but if it's somebody who's wise, they're going to appreciate it. Like, thank you so much for calling me out. Right? I, I, I so appreciate your constructive criticism of what I am doing. That's how a wise person responds. So he says He's going to turn this on his head, the shala, and he's going to say, it's not about like being wise or not wise. It's about how you, the person who's coming to them with the Tochecha, how you approach them. Meaning. If you approach another person as if they're a scoffer, right? And you treat them in that way and you shame and insult them and you treat them as like they don't care about, right? When we use words that show that we think that person doesn't care about the way that they act in the world um, and insult them, if it's not really inspiring them to do better, the shalas says, he's gonna just shut down and actually it's gonna cause a negative reaction. Um, but rebuke a wise man is if you treat them as wise. If you say, oh, I notice, right, you're so intelligent, or you, I know you try to do the right thing, but I'm wondering why would you do this, this thing that you did? Um, And maybe, right, the person will be more receptive because you came to them as somebody who like wants to do the right thing and like tries to come into situations. Um, um, And he says that it's very, it's imperative to apply this principle. Um, he says mostly in education, but I think in general, right, we can think about um, how to use this. And then he gives an example with adults also, right? In general, if you um, use a little bit of praise, it helps a person overcome, maybe it pushes them that extra step to do the right thing or to like help inspire them to push them. Um, so it's very much about not using, for the most part here, right, not using shame. Um, and I think we can, we we started to discuss the idea of uh, social media, which is a very big topic, um, which we're gonna shift to again, but using public fora um, to call people out. And I feel like the shala quoted here has a lot of advice in terms of um, having conversations with people, right? If, we, um, if we're sort of upset because we see somebody as a thought leader or we see somebody as like somebody who normally, right? We see as somebody who like is a caring person or, um, and that's why we're so frustrated um, at the thing the person did, um, that it makes more sense to try to approach the person that way. Um, the exceptions that we looked at last week, and these most of these sources should be on the source sheet from last week and we're going back to it, um, is the idea we looked at if there's ever, um, if it's ever is called for to use public shaming and particularly social media shaming, right? We looked at um, one example, um, from um, from the shochan of somebody who has the ability to support their family, um, but is not, and has been every other attempt has been tried um, in that day and age, and that social shaming um, was something that could be used. We then looked at the famous examples of herchalot derabbeinu, uh, de um, de, right? That sorry, of Tosfok, um right? Rabbeinu Tam, that Rabbeinu Tam in his time um, instituted, and it's been carried forth. Um, and in our generation as well, right, that, um, that one can use social isolation um, in the case of a person who all other, me- other avenues were exhausted of that person delivering a get, um, and their wife was not receiving a get. Um, so that was used socially in synagogues, um, right, don't invite the person to a meal, um, that person shouldn't play in your synagogue, that person shouldn't get an ELL. It's for many generations, that's how it was used. Um, In the age of social media, we mentioned that there have been many social media campaigns um, that have actually been, in in some cases, very effective um, in a woman being able to get the get. So there's been a lot of discussion about this and a lot of sources. I put some of the sources here with links. Um, We can update the, I'll update the source online as well. But I just want to look at Rav Shirla wrote a response to this that was translated, was published in the newspapers in Israel, and was sort of put all over the place. Um, And he says, Lashon Hara and humiliation are essential issues in our lives. Before anything else, it should be mentioned that we are dealing here with matters of literal life and death, right? We talked about um, this idea last week, um, that first of all, we don't need to know everything, right? Everything of everybody is not our business, right? With a carnation we come behind us and all the bad, right? Sometimes we don't always realize like not everything and everybody's public, right? Even if they're a public figure, it's not our business and are not our public figure, right? Um, not everybody needs to know everything. And yet there might be times when the community might need to be involved in something that's normally a private situation. Right? And what are those times that the community might get involved? Um, and we might use shaming in a public way, especially on social media. So he says, first of all, it has to be eminent, right? The shaming writer must write the truth only the relevant truth and the whole relevant truth like don't leave things out right okay? um and if you don't know then don't don't like guess you can say i'm not sure but this is what i write don't don't um um not only not to lie but to distance oneself from falsity because this is a necessity it right? was there and we looked at this before um where other avenues taken um and he says, on the other hand, if there is a real necessity to publicize, then it's forbidden to remain silent, right? because you can't Proportionality, and again, this is always a hard one, and we're going to think about this today with anger as well. Um, just because something is mutar, it's permitted, and maybe even we have a, we have an obligation to use um, to get the person to do what they need to do, and and use shame to do that. Um, it does not relieve the publicizer of doing so only in the required proportion. Like, don't go overboard. Focus on what is the thing that needs to be changed. And right, um, facts that are not necessary, even if they are true, and harm someone who does not deserve to be harmed, are forbidden to be publicized. And last, he says caution, right, from causing greater harm and inflicting more harm on the offender than is appropriate. Use this tool of shaming as little as possible. Um, and it's. Hopefully when used in this way about Rochelle rights, these general guidelines can help us um, even in these complex matters to save the oppressed from their oppressor as well as the prohibition of humiliating someone and Lashon Hara, right? Um, you might want to think of, um, uh, Desmond asks, why is it okay to post on social media if you are not sure? Um, I don't think he's saying, I think there are sometimes situations where, um, right? I think he's speaking particularly of get abuse and it could be that we don't know all the facts in that case. But we do know that the person is withholding. Um, I can also think of cases. I don't. I don't want to um, go too much in this direction. But I can think of cases where there are also um, individuals who maybe it's important to post that there are questions about that person's behavior. It could be like um, claims of. Um, sexual assault that have not yet been proven, for example. And again, this is very touchy area, so I don't want to because I don't have sources on that particularly. Um, but I could see in that case sometimes, um, even if you don't know all the facts, it could be that there might be a point in some, and again, this will be very controversial, and this is what people often disagree about, right? Is that lashon hara, or is it the toilet that you're only posting? People should just be aware that there is this fact out there, and further investigation is taking place, and the right authorities are being contacted, and just you should be aware, and that might be a public concern, right? So that would also be a situation, but you would make sure to frame it um, in a very specific way, um, right? Emmett is not the same as right. Now. right. Um, just the last um, source on this, which was in a, an article, if people um, can find this article very easily online, which gives a whole, a whole overview of shaming in Judaism, past, present, and future. Um, and uh, he writes here, they write here an opinion of, um, of Chaim Navon, um, who's the community rabbi of Modi'in, um, who, um, who has a different approach a little bit than Rav Sherlock. Um, and he argues that so shaming on social media is a return to the modern version of cherem, which was practice, meaning it's not a new it's new and it's not new. Um, um, and this is a quote from Rav Navon. Um, Once when communities were communities, this is what harem excommunication looked like effective social ostracism rabbinical courts made measured use of it. Right, That's the important part measured use of it against various schedules, meaning p- very specific individuals. The weakening of communities alongside social mobility decreased the effectiveness of this tool, and for these reasons someone ostracized or excommunicated simply showed contempt for the rabbinical court. Or at the most moved somewhere else and started again. So in fact, this is one of the most common things um, that happens in get abuse cases Um, and the authority of the Beijing is quite limited often. and so, and writes here that social media, in fact, have restored the effectiveness of this concept that we've had for generations of Kherom um, and have returned it to what it was meant to be. But again, right, he simply states that we need to be very, very, very careful, right? This is, there's a difference between a group who right, is trying to get justice for, and have tried for a long time to get justice and using social media as one way um, and sort of um, personal shaming. Um, right, that we need to be very careful of personal shaming, um, right, just because I don't like someone, I suspect them, I don't like their opinions, they said something bad, um, right, that that's not really what social media is for, and unfortunately that is often how social media is used. Um, and I think that's where we can, um, before we pull up the other source, I think that's where we can go back to uh, Rob Shapiro's sources. Um, when we see things that we disagree with, we have a relationship with the person or have the person is in our orbit in some way, um, right? Then reaching out to the person um, and using some of these tactics of like, why that we were so upset, um, you know? Um, and again, so we, we are gonna move on to anger, but thinking about when are the times and places, um, if ever, that um, the team is called for. Um, I think there's a lot more that we're gonna see um, in the coming, Years um, on social media and halachot of social media. Um, shaming is one of those areas where there has been a lot written about, particularly because the way that it was used um, for get abusers um, and quite effectively so.
2: Okay. Moving into our main topic for tonight,
1: we're going to look at the midah of anger. Um, So we start off with this source from Kohelet, um, which says, well, Kohelet is quite hard to understand. So we're going to say this verse and then we're going to think about how it frames. Um, Banish anger from your heart and evil from your flesh because youth and youthfulness are fleeting. Um, Right, for the most part, right, if you look at it, you know, on its face, it's like not worth it. Right, like just move on. Life is short. Um, Rashi takes this in a in a different direction, in a more spiritual direction, and says to remove kaas means anything that causes the very. Don't do things because life is short. Your time here is precious, and you like only have to do uh, or you have to like do the right thing because life is short. Very a little bit of a a reframing of that pasuk of that verse, Um, but it has the general idea that. Um, for many reasons, um, anger might be something that we just want to, that might, like people will say, right, life is short, life is too short to be angry at things that maybe don't, right, get some perspective, um, We can also think about, we thought about last week very much the physiological effects of shame and embarrassment, particularly because the way it's called habanapanim and the flush and then the rushing of blood and the shock to the system. Um, So we're gonna think about today a little bit the physiological effect um, of of anger. And the questions that we have here, um, is anger solely destructive? Um, Can it ever be constructive um, and is ever called for? before we start, can anyone think of? We jump into some of the sources. Um, can you think of any situations where anger might be called for, either in a religious setting or from a religious perspective? Now, knowing that we just framed this, at least from Kohela, which is not a legal source, but right of like maybe that anger is not such a good thing, and you might might have seen Jewish sources that have said that. We're going to look at some of them. Can anyone think of instances where anger might be important?
2: Well, Pinchas seems to get praised.
1: Okay. Right. We have some, Desmond points out, Pinchas, right, who was a zealot, who was used Is righteous anger to fix right, a wrong that was done and right, stop a, right, more terrible activity from being done. Right. People who are not only doing the bad thing, but were in a position of leadership and causing other people to sin. Right? We have a number of people um, in um, in the Torah, who like Pinchas, Eliyahu might come to mind also, um, some of the prophets might come to mind, right? They seem to be sometimes embittered and angered, right? That there sometimes does seem to be anger surfacing. Um, I think something to think about in the background um, injustice, right? Anger is a passion and emotion, right? That can move, right? Sometimes we're gonna think about is anger called for? Um, and behind all of this, right? Any reader of the Humash, right? This is not the topic for tonight. If we were thinking about, you know, the 13 attributes of God and, but thinking about our models, um, right? Does God model anger, (laughs) right? Is that something that is modeled as a response to, um, right? Something, an injustice or something that needs to be fixed, Um, right? Um, Right. And for, right. So for maybe for war, um, that there are sometimes necessary um, things, right? So that was, Um, With that, we're going to look at a lot of sources that sort of say, go in the other direction, think about how to make sense of that, since we've all thought of ways in which maybe um, anger could be used in a general way, um, but maybe in our regular everyday lives perhaps um, to avoid anger. So the first source needs a little bit of background, but I think it it is a really beautiful and fascinating source um, about can anger ever be constructive? Um, Or something we do out of anger, be seen in a constructive way. Um, This is from the Mishnah in Shabbat. A little bit of background um, to this Mishnah is two things. One, which many people um, may be familiar, right, that somebody um, for certain immediate relatives and also for somebody's, um, often for someone's rav, for their teacher, um, somebody would tear their, garment um, out of mourning, whether they have an obligation to tear their garment out of mourning. Um, um, So the Mishnah here says, So somebody who tears their garment either in anger or over their dead relative um, is exempt, meaning exempt from violating Shabbat. Normally, tearing on Shabbat would be something that one should not. Do on Shabbat and violate Shabbat. We're going to see um, the idea, um, right, perhaps that that's only when it's constructive, that Shabbat is only, right, only constructive um, activity is, is, uh, forbidden. Um, and also, call them a anyone who does anything destructive is exempt, meaning it's not just these people, but anyone who does anything destructive is exempt on a biblical level, because Shabbat is about doing constructive things. Um, and then the Gemara set, uh, continues and says, one who tears in anger and in mourning over their dead relative is actually liable. They have violated Shabbat. Um, and even though they violated Shabbat, they nevertheless fulfilled the mitzvah, their obligation of tearing. Um, so this is not difficult. Um, this Mishnah, right? The one that states that you're liable, um, is referring to one's own, one you have an obligation. Um, the one which says it's an exempt refers to anyone else. Meaning you haven't necessarily done anything constructive if it's for someone else. Um,
2: I'm lost on this one. I read it before, but I, I, I read it several times and I can't follow. Is the argument here that, well, there's four possibilities. So it's your relative or it isn't your relative, you tear who's, who is ex- who is it like okay in the end for and who isn't it because it seems so like
1: they're sort of they're sort of working they're they're using a lot of different um, possible ways of expl- of trying to explain the traditions that they have and also to answer um and to answer this question um to answer the question of um if somebody has done this um was it constructive um or destructive. Right. Because if somebody did something completely destructive, um, right, if I just um, um, like if I pulled something off my shirt, for example, um, I biblically, I'm not I'm not liable because I did something destructive. It's only if I um, or if I tear something um, rabbinically, it's prohibited, but we're talking biblically. But if I tear something in order to fix it, um, then that's constructive. So, so if figure from... out here is, is tearing something, but tearing it because you're angry or tearing it because you're doing it out of mourning, different than just tearing something. Meaning when I tear because of my emotional state, particularly to get rid of my anger or to do something about the fact that I am really upset and in grief, um, is that in fact just a completely um, destructive act that is exempt um, or is that something that is constructive? So if it comforts the me... Question. If it comforts me, then so we're gonna we're gonna read the rest of the source and, then, okay, and okay. then which is gonna which is gonna sort of go in that direction. But it it tries to like yeah um so Rabbi Huda um. You could say maybe because we have these two different sources. One says you're liable. One says you're not liable. So they're trying to they're trying to make sense of are those different opinions? Is it different situations? Is there ever a situation where you tear something um, and you are and you are liable because it seems like it's purely destructive? And I said maybe it's this Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda says even when you do something not for its own sake, right? You didn't tear for the sake of them fixing it into something. Um, maybe maybe it's according to him and you're liable because of that. Um, And he says, and they said, no, like this is something that normally would just seen as destructive. And Rabbi Avin said, this case um, is also constructive, right, because it kind of assuages or calms down your anger. Doing something physical, doing something destructive, um, which, right, tearing that thing takes the anger from the inside puts it into the world and then calms that person down, right? The anger is not there. It doesn't always work that way, right? It could feed into it. But the situation they're thinking of is where um, it actually lets, it's a release um, of some of that. And then they say, wait a second. So are we saying like people should be doing that? Like, should we be telling people if you're angry, tear something to get rid of your anger? So we've like moved on from, sh- right? Moving on from Shabbat a little bit, perhaps. Um, um, say. So one who runs their garments out of anger, who breaks their vessels out of anger, who scatters their money out of anger, um, should be like an idol worshiper. Now, this is not only on Shabbat in general, right? People who behave this way out of anger um, are seen as an idol worshiper. Um, Today, why is it like an idol worshiper? Because they're not in control. Who is telling them what to do? The idea is that they're yet to hurrah. They're listening to that little voice inside them. Instead of trying to exert self-control, they're giving into losing self-control. Um, even though in that moment, they're sort of doing something, um, right? Which seems like they're putting right control into the world and maybe they feel a little calmer because they put it out there rather than having it be in their body. But that's not actually, right? Think of like temper tantrums, right? Um, right one of the big things you do as educators as parents is to like, someone's having like very big feelings, um, kicking, screaming, breaking things, right, is actually right, not how one should use that. It doesn't mean you don't have those big feelings, but think about another way to use them, right? How to calm those feelings down in a different way. Um, and so that's what Rabbi Echanan here is saying. If you're in the habit of doing this, to cu- it might calm you down, which is why on Shabbat, it might be seen by some as constructive behavior because it has like done something that you wanted it to do. It does something constructive for you, even if you destroyed something in the process. Um, but you slowly lose self-control, so it's almost like you are then um, serving this other master, right? And don't have, do aren't able to make good choices. The um, Avin said, um, right, because it says there should there shouldn't be not be a strange god within you. So what is a strange god? Um, this is Yetzirah. So this is one possible way in which. Um, tearing out of anger might be constructive. Um, the next part got cut off, the mum is going to talk about it, is they say no, it's actually, and this I think we're going to process a little bit, but it's actually when a person is not really angry. Sometimes the sages, source continues, in the Gemara, which I'm sorry that that part got cut off here, it's my fault. Um, that sometimes the sages, of course they would never get angry and destroy things. Um, Because like that means they don't have self-control, right? And they don't, they're not idol worshippers, right? They're like holy people. But sometimes, right, you've all thought of situations on a very like national or public way where anchor might be effective. Um, The rabbis said that maybe sometimes um, on a communal, like for a community leader or um, in a home environment that maybe they needed to inspire a little fear um, to get results. And so they would pretend to do these kinds of things that they would pretend to be angry, but they were always in total self-control. Um, and how but is that because, a- so we're gonna, that's the question we're gonna keep having. I have the same question, right? So we're gonna try to think of how they're, the, the line that they're trying to tow here. Um, that it could be that maybe um, pretending to be angry could sometimes be effective. And so they would pretend to be angry, but always be in self-control. So they would never cross that line. And the way that it would be constructive or effective is that the person would then listen. Um, Right. Um, We're going to think about that question because I always have the the Rambam quotes this as well, and so do other sources. And that's a question that um, that I think about as well. Um, So the Gemara here talks about um, two instances. Um, The morning one, I think, is quite fascinating in terms of thinking about um, when we look next week at, at having peace of mind, right, the way that um, having that small moment of tearing could maybe um, for a moment, right, put something out into the world, um, be transformative for that person and feel like a constructive, they did something about the fact that someone passed away. Um, even though it was Shabbat, they were able to do the tearing. And um, even for the one that says they shouldn't have, they're still liable for Shabbat, um, that one would say that they fulfilled that mitzvah of tearing. Um, But our interest this week is mostly about the anger, right? This question of, can it ever be constructive um, to, right, use anger in this way in the world? Either, um, right, think about like all of these, uh, um, they have these like rooms now where you go break things. Anyone heard about this? Yeah, I see Llanos heard that. Okay, so Llanos, do you want to say a little bit about it since you nodded your head? What have you heard about it?
0: Um, it's like one of those things, like, um, that you go and do in what I believe is called strip mall. You go into like a room and they have like some TVs and like plates and they give you a baseball bat and you can like smash everything into little pieces, but it's like all stuff they've set up. Like it's intentional, like it's all meant to be like destroyed and everything. Is that, is that right? That's what
1: I've heard as well um and like there's a reason those places exist right and like maybe it's something that people feel like they like let loose a little bit and they let something out that's like deep-seated and they like, work something out through doing that now we're going to see in these sources that for the most part right we don't encourage that that seem like giving in and losing self-control and it's the fi- line is too fine but then we have this small source of the the fail so that also it, right maybe there's sometimes that we like put a little bit of like firmness into the world and like when is that ever called for if at all right that's kind of a question that we're thinking about um okay so the rambam I'm quotes curious about
2: like if there's a difference between these destruction rooms that you just mentioned or you know when i was growing up if Somebody was feeling angry, like if there was a dead tree in the yard, the 12-year-old would be given a hatchet and told, mm. this needs to come down, work on it until you're feeling better. Or if you live somewhere where there's it a may fire be a- danger, you're given a scythe and you go cut down the tall grass. It's like you do something that the family or community needs. And to me, that feels very different than... And it makes a person feel better. They accomplished something that was needed for other people. That feels different
1: than this, like, going and smashing things. Right. So I think it's like, there's definitely a spectrum. And we're going to look at some sources, um, right, on Baal as well. We're thinking about, like, when does it cross the line, right? Is it ever good to feed into, like, I think the main question is, like, when someone is angry, upset about something, um, is it ever good to, like, feed into that destructive, feeling the person has, and it seems like in some situations we acknowledge that people do do that kind of thing, and doesn't mean you're giving some examples of that, um, but for the most part it looks like that's not, um, right, are there constructive ways of using that energy, right, is it ever can it ever be like funneled in, in, into a constructive way. Um, so here the Ramam says in general, right, if you burn um, even a very small thing on Shabbat, you're liable you've violated Shabbat biblically, um right because when you need the um when you're trying to like make ashes or make coal basically right it's actually a constructive act um right you're thinking burning is just burning but actually sometimes right because you're making um but then he says but um if he does it just to be destructive um then he's exempt he has not violated shabbat as you're just destroying right you're just destroying something um Right. Um, but if you burn um your your neighbors uh not encouraging this, right? Like anger is in a very bad place, right? On this one, you're exempt and all of a sudden, right, you went too far and it's not only your thing, either because you were like angry at them or like dumb, and right? um you are um liable. Now the the some of these sources like I think they're fascinating, like they're important sources to learn here, but there's a lot of Background um, that's that's needed. Um, when somebody violates Shabbat, but also um, does uh, like harm somebody, um, we, have a, we have a we have a principle that when you do one act and there's it's two, you get like two results that you don't have double jeopardy. Basically, we take whichever is the more severe act and you punish the person, right? So if I violated Shabbat, that's very very severe, um, right? Um, so the person has violated Shabbat, even though what I destroyed, burned my thing, I burned my friend's thing. Why is that not destructive? Um, right? Of course, you would have to, right, the baseline is normally you would have to pay the person back. But the question is about Shabbat. Um, because you wanted to take vengeance, you're so angry, you hate the person so much, you want to get back at them, so you burn their, their, their bushes. And. Hi, it's Kara You actually calmed down. Like you felt good. Now you're not sorry anymore because you burned their stuff down, right? It's a similar idea as the construct that now we see what we saw in the Mishnah has become sort of a right a concept. Right, somebody who tears for their dead relative, um, or an anger is an opinion, right? That they're Chayav, um, because you have done something constructive, um, meaning. It's not ideal. We don't want you using your anger in that way. But if you have used your anger in that way, um, it has right. Um, it has done something for you that you kind of needed it to do for you. Now, does that mean we're encouraging people to do that behavior? No. But there's an acknowledgement that um, it sometimes works that way. On the other hand, we see the dangers of being angry, right? Throughout all of these sources, we see anger can lead a person and acting on that anger. And like the things that people do when they get worked up to release that anger, bring us to a pretty bad place or can bring us to a pretty bad place, um, right? That brings us back to the right idea of the um, um The Shalah here, um, who we saw the Shalah um, being quoted by um, Rav Shapira um, says, there's an idea This is a drash, right? This is a uh, um, a midrash on this verse of not burning a fire on Shabbat, right? That you're not supposed to start a fire on Shabbat, just basically start a fire, right? You can't light a candle on Shabbat or start a fire. He says, here is an allusion to a destructive fire of ka'as, right? The fire of anger, that a person should always be careful not to allow oneself to become angry, so that the fire of hatred should not consume you. And all the more so on Shabbat, we looked at this in the first, um, in the first uh, class, that their Shabbat is a time that we really protect. And it could be that during the week we try, and then on Shabbat, we try even harder. What also happens on Shabbat, you're not doing your normal thing. You're not with your, right? You sort of have all of this time with your family and your community and people get, right, it's, it's, there's not a lot, you can't go, you know, go to work and sort of like try to be busy, right? Um, so it's more, it, it can really consume a person, right, particularly on these times when people are in close, rich, about as a time when everybody's sort of together. Um, so the, he says, so you shouldn't allow the fire of anger, and he takes it right to a very, very strong place, so that the fire of Gainam will not burn within them because right? it'll just bring you right down. So, one who gets angry on Shabbat, um, who sows strife, um, makes machloket on Shabbat, right? That's like as if they're bringing the fire of uh, of Gehina. Um, he seems to be responding to some of the sources, right? This is much later, so he seems to be responding to some of the sources that we saw about like using anger in a family setting or at a communal setting to sort of. Right, if something doesn't, not going the way you want, right? We're going to look at maybe some bigger injustices, but these, we think that the Shallah is saying, like, if there's a really big injustice, what, is, what types of situations might he be talking about when he talks about anger and um, anger and sowing machlokit or sowing strife or disagreement?
2: any thoughts? I'm not sure. Cause I, I don't really, I'm not sure what the extrapolation is from that. Like, I understand the concept that if you live in a small community and everybody's together on Shabbat, like try and keep it together. But that seems different from this whole question of hmm. like, like the big one for me is if the leader models anger and rouses mm-hmm. people in a religious community to anger, the problem is you don't know how e- far each one of those individuals. Correct.
1: Correct. Right. So the I shalat mean, the is not part. necessarily right. So the shalat is not necessarily talking um, maybe about those big situations, but I think he's saying that um, people might think that they have to use a little bit of fire and brimstone people might think that they have to like inspire a little fear um, on the home front or as like communal leaders and like saying, yeah, like actually that's not, but that's, that's no, (laughs) just don't bring that, don't bring that into the environment, like find a different path. And we just looked at the shala also in tohacha, meaning find a different path, um, even if you might, have seen that sometimes, right, people would try to inspire fear in others. Um, that that's not actually what should be done in Shabbat. Right? It's not a fire and brimstone kind of a time, um, either at home, right, on a communal level. Um, the Rambam here, before we go more um, into anger in general, right, talks about the idea of um, destroying. This is often learned about, right, destroying trees, um, but right, that we don't destroy a bearing fruit tree, right? That's to sleep. Um, even when one um, is trying to uh, maybe build something or at least siege to a city, right? You're not allowed to destroy a fruit tree um, because it's something that is nourishing the world. Um, But he says, anyone who breaks utensils, tears garments, destroys buildings, stops up a spring, ruins food with destructive intent, transgresses Baal Tashrit, Um, right? Um, That this is something that, even though we saw some sources that from a Shabbat level, right, it has calmed the person down and is maybe constructive. On the other hand, it's really destruct- just destructive, right? Like you are going around destroying things. And that's not, um, that's not a healthy direction. Um, so which next- one
2: is he being punished for? I don't understand the difference between lashes and stripes. Which thing is he not being punished for and which thing is he being punished for?
1: Hmm um makat dut is when you do something that goes against the words of the rabbis versus on a biblical level so it's which like one? you're rebelling against um he, he's rebelling against the rabbinic right the Torah talks about trees but all these other things right you're the it's on a rabbinical it's it's going against the the sages the oh okay mm-hmm. yeah which when when they had that power a long time ago in the time of the Sanhedrin right we don't have today um these are very famous sections from Chutayot um, on the on human dispositions, where the Ramam talks about right the golden mean of balancing one's um, right not going too far in either direction, instead of trying to balance one's trait. Um, there are things though, right, um, which maybe a person should never go and just remove completely. Um, so Frizi says, um, right, if there are things that a person is trying to fix, if they have tendencies, right, something to, to point out here is that not all um, people are equally, have equal dispositions with the Ramam saying, my people, people might be predisposed to getting angry more, right, they just might have a shorter fuse. And then the Ramam talks about how to, um, right, a um, person might have a temper. Um, so he says the person has to train themselves and maybe go a little far in the other direction and just not react. Um, this is not an idea that he, um, that he came up with. It comes up in the Gemara in a number of different um, examples that we'll see in the next source. Um, right, a person who is swayed in the direction of one extreme, if you get angry all the time, right, move in the direction of the opposite extreme and get used to that for a long time, right, until you're sort of in the middle path. But then, he says in the next halacha, there are certain de'ot, certain tendencies or characteristics that is actually forbidden ever for a person, even the middle way, right? There's no middle ground with some, and you actually, to the extreme, extreme, right, to the outer, outer edge, extremely outer edge of this characteristic, does a person have to push themselves, right? Don't try to be in the middle here, push yourself till you're like so far removed from it. And he says, so is um, anger. Is an extremely evil tendency and it's proper for a person to remove themselves to the other extreme. Right you try to you have to teach yourself not to get angry and here this is I think some of going in the other direction about these sources. maybe even something which befits anger. Now he's not talking about injustice, he's talking about insults, personal slights and insults. This is an idea that comes from the Gemara as we'll see um and that um that a person, the um, Torah gives examples of this, um, and this is also discussed in um, in Tomer de Torah, which is a book that talks about the thirteen attributes of God, um, and right that if God can withstand our behavior towards God, um, right, and forgive us, um, that that's something that we try to model ourselves towards as well, um, right in the back of our heads is some of those questions at the beginning of, okay, is there ever an injustice that we get angry about? But the problem is reminding us most things are not a huge injustice to the world, right? There are some things that we're going to think about might be, right? What are those things and how to, right? But for the most part, I'm saying here that, um, right, not to um, always jump um and to sort of maybe even go a little far in the other direction, which I think is very hard. Um, We can think about in our right modern society, is that even what we're encouraging right that's a a, a big question these days right um he then adds this idea but he doesn't say one should do it we saw this idea in the Gemara um if one wants to engender awe in the children and household or in the public right if they're in a leader or authority an authority figure um even if you want to get angry so that they you know like bring them right use right again fire and brimstone in some sense right to get people on the good path um don't actually get angry, right? Because then you're you're going down a bad, a bad path um, yourself, right? This is not a good trait to ever try and f- you should not actually physically um get yourself there because of all the dangers that we've seen, right? It's very hard to control. And it seems like it's something that once one does it and then you let it out, you could sort of get in that feedback loop. So only act angry, but you always must remain calm. Um Um, I think this is probably impossible for most people to do, (laughs) I think likely the Rambam knows that. Um, The way he's describing it here seems like it's very, very hard for people to actually um, be totally peaceful inside, right, but also get angry. Um, People are in positions of authority, there's a way to be, right, he's not talking about being firm or strict, right, he's talking about using something a little bit stronger than that. Um, that people might think they need to do that. But, but actually you need to be very careful when you ever, right? If you're ever in that position. So
2: um, the children or community listening, is there any difference though, between the leader or parent who is pretend angry or the one, because the whole reason it has its effect is because you scare people. So I still have an issue with it. <laughs>
1: yes. So I, it doesn't seem like the Rambam. I have that's been my question every time I've read this source. Um, it doesn't seem like I, I would like to think it's not being advocated, but acknowledged as a way that people do it. And if you're going to do use it, use that tool. If you think that's a tool that you need, think about it very carefully. Um, I have the same questions. I think if anger is something we want to be far away from, right? Um, inspiring. Pretending to be angry as sort of then modeling anger. Um, but I think firm, being firm and stern, right, is very different. Um again, we're gonna think about like real injustice, right? But this is on a like regular communal level. Um, because then you'll see how far he goes in the other direction about like be so careful that you don't ever get really angry when you're doing this, right? Because it's basically like you've worshipped idols. Um, right. And like your wisdom, like you might think, I'm being so wise. Like. Right, they're all looking up to me and like, I'm right. Like you're not seen necessarily as wise in that moment. I think that's actually one of the, and it's from the Gemara. I think that's actually one of the most um, salient sources from this is that like one might think that they're coming from a position of authority and like working themselves up to this like angry place from their position of authority. And like, actually they just look really not in control and like not Like it just takes away from like how you look at the person. Now some people might look up to that, but I think for a lot of people, you sort of some part of you says like, wait a second, like, like they don't look like they're really in control, and like is anger like is that how we want to approach this? And like it sort of makes a person not look like a wise leader anymore if they go in that direction. Um, I think we've all we've all probably seen this in a parent, in a teacher, um, in a public figure that like the person doesn't like seem like such an authority anymore when they've like crossed that line. Um, And so that's a very fine line the Rambam was saying and like you're probably going to end up crossing it. So be very, very, very careful with this, you know. Um, And then the Gemara also says, right, the life of an irritable person is no life, somebody who gets angry um, all the time. Um, Therefore, um, right, we should not... Right. We should actually work in the other direction to not get ourselves worked up. Um, right. If something is people are, you know, even if it's like repeated, right. The person in the position of authority, probably people are continuing to do the things that annoy them. They're Like, why are they not listening? Why are they still doing this? Why are they doing it again? Like, I just don't get it. And like, it's very hard to not actually get angry about it. And then you. Right. Um, so it's a it's a it's a very normal human response. Um, and so he's saying actually, no, like, especially if it's directed against them themselves, right? The individual or the person in authority. It's not only for authority figures towards the end here, um, right? Um, the Sefer Hasidim, which is um, a pietist source um, from um, early, right, Germany, like 11th century, says there was an incident when they asked a pious person, How did you merit longevity? And he said, Never did I return insult to a person who cursed or embarrassed me. Instead, I would be patient and forgive anyone who would cause me distress. Now, I read this and I'm like, that sounds nice. I, I don't think like, but it brings us back to that source and go sort of, of life is short. Meaning like, if you spend your life trying to chase down everyone who like get that, you know, who like annoyed you or like said something that might have been, you know, like it just uses up like a lot of your energy and life worth, right? I'm saying this from self-knowledge here, right? That like this pious person is saying like, I just, I didn't go there. Like once you don't go there, like you can maybe, you know, focus on all the other things in life and like your life will feel nice and follow along um, rather than getting sucked into that. Um, But now we get to, right? You don't have permission, right? You can't be angry in general. And like always have someone you go to like is a calming presence like those people who you see like are able to just be calm in really stressful situations even when like think people are doing things like that are right could upset them like that's a person you should like be asking advice from that's a good person to know and to like see how do they do that what's their secret um except when the times that a lot of you mentioned in the beginning there are people out there who are actually doing bad things and causing a lot of harm in the world. Those are not people that we just turn the other way and say like, oh, that doesn't bother me because that's how you get to a broken society, right? So, right? Um, Thinking about the source is very extreme, um, right? We're gonna look at your Miyahu, um in, in the closing, um, right? But there are people who may be like, yes, those people, right, They're they're so, um, insightful of others and causing others to do harm that, like, they should inspire, like, those people, right, you can't say, like, I, 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 I we actually need to be angry and do something about this, um, because that's not okay, right, and knowing the difference between those situations, I think is, like, very hard, what are, what are those situations, similar to some of the questions about using shame and embarrassment, like, what are the situations where it's called for, when it's, like, injustice that it calls for, and what are the situations where it's not, and, like, what does that do to us as people, um, right to engage in this. Either to like get angry when we don't need to or like not be bothered when actually we should be bothered and should like get worked up about something and do something about it. Um, the Chadaruch also quotes the Rambam. So just to think about as he's saying the same thing. Um, so here he says it as like in a permissive way, um, like when it's necessary, he so says, don't get angry. So I think he's saying it a little bit in a different way than the Rambam um, is saying it. Um, but it's an idea that seems to be right. reminding people, it's, it's, right, there's no way people are not gonna get angry in a household situation or in a community leadership. Right? It's a very normal human response. So I think some of these sources are trying to acknowledge that like on the one hand, you're gonna feel this. On the other hand, like you need to get some self-control in those situations and not actually be angry Even if you think the situation calls for an anger response, you shouldn't get angry, just almost impossible to do. But that's like the goal is to like not get too worked up in these situations. And maybe we saw right the goal might be like, try not to like get worked up about so many think that so many things need anger. and then there's the story from the Talmud, right, about why it's so important to retain your composure, that Eliyahu said to Rabbi Huda, this is like when Eliyahu goes around and like tells people what they're doing right and wrong, like the, yeah, the brother of Salah, the pious, don't become angry and you're not going to sin, meaning. We just saw all this destructive behavior, right, even when I think of idol worship, like you're not in control and you're going to like do things that maybe you wouldn't have done under the influence of anger. Um, same thing with don't become intoxicated right they both like shut down our frontal like lobe response and like we're not able to really have good good choices and self control.
2: Um,
1: the 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 second to last verse we we're going to look at is going back to that question of Jeremiah of like OK, so is there ever a time to be angry. Um, for what we might call righteous anger, moral indignation, right? Many of you mentioned sources and that idea in the beginning, but maybe there is a time that it's called for. Um, this is from Heschel's book, The Prophet, um, where he writes about Jeremiah. It's a longer passage thinking about the relationship between Jeremiah and God and how Jeremiah um, in some sense mirrors or expresses um, God, pathos of God in that situation, right? Jeremiah being the prophet right before the destruction who like prophesies, things are not gonna be okay. And you're gonna like, temple's gonna be destroyed because you just keep doing the wrong thing and you're just like not listening. And like, that's his message. It's a hard message. Okay. Um, so the modes of prophetic sympathy are determined by the modes of divine passion. Um, we mentioned God right in the beginning, the pathos of love and the pathos of anger await corresponding tones in the heart of the prophet. Um, meaning, it's mirroring, right, corresponding to God. Um, in his confessions, Jeremiah allows us to obtain a glimpse of the fervor of love, as well as the an raging anger against the people. Um, it's possible to gain a clue to the meaning behind the conflicting and confusing emotions in Jeremiah's mind. His inconsolable grief over the destiny of the people is an expression of fellowship and love. The people's anguish is his anguish, however. His emotions are not simply an instinctive attachment or feeling of personal involvement. at times Jeremiah wishes to abandon them. Ardent as his love was for the people, he was primarily driven by what God felt for Israel. Accord with the divine pathos determine his attractions and aversions. Love involves an appreciation. Um, Israel is precious, right, because it was God's. Impassioned um, with a sense of divine disturbance, right? Things had not been good, like things had been really bad for a very long time. Um, Jeremiah could condemn the vehemence that was at times terrifying and devoid of charity. He said some very harsh and angry things. But his own heart was rich in tenderness and sensitivity to other people's suffering. He terrified in order to save. Um, The disaster he threatened would be a disaster to him, sorrow and excruciating anguish, right? He had implored them, he warned them, right? And he knew if the people did not listen, Right. They remain dead to his words, he would drown in his own tears. We see here a spectrum of emotions. Um, and and thinking about um anger or indignation and and how um that is something that we often see in the prophets. We saw that in the idea of Tohokhav, of you know, calling people out as well. Um, but the times and places for that, um, right, there are times and there are places. Uh, but most of the sources that we looked at um were really to like help us think about, okay, what are those times and what are those places? Um, and what does it do to us um, when we get overwhelmed by um, right, our immediate response is like to respond in a strong way or to like get worked up about something um, and how to sort of work that back both in a very um, halakhic, um framework. Um, the last source here uh, I mentioned in the beginning, um, looking at um, some of the attributes of God so this is really beautiful source um, from, the, um, from the Gemara and Brachot. And again, Brachot, this is where they were sort of questioning how God was feeling about them, the temple being destroyed, not being returned, thinking about how does one connect with God in the absence of that? Does God still love us? Right? Does God still care about us? Um, right? Is God still angry with us? Um, um, so they said, from here we see that God prays. What does God pray and to whom does God pray? Rav Zutra Bartovia said that Rav said, God says, may it be my will that my mercy will overcome my anger towards Israel for their transgressions and may my mercy prevail over my other attributes through which Israel is punished. And may I conduct myself towards my children, Israel, the attribute of Rahamim of mercy um, and may I enter them beyond the letter of the law. Meaning, yeah, if I wanted to be right, yes, it could be that there are things that I could be held responsible for but maybe not everything needs to be treated in that way. Um, similarly, there was a story where Rabbi Yishmael um, went into the Kodesh Kodashim to offer the Ketaret, um, and he saw um, one of the names of God, right? Unclear, right? We don't know how to understand these sources, but he saw um, some sense of God, of the Shekhinah there. Um, and it's asked Yishmael to write, oh, can you bless me? Um, and he said, okay, so I said, the prayer that God says, may it be your will, that your mercy overcome your anger, and may your mercy prevail over your other attributes, and act towards your children with the attribute of mercy, um, and the Holy One, blessed be, he nodded his head, and accepted the blessing, um, this is something that is incorporated in our tefillot in various ways, both in the Sephardic, and Ashkenazi, and different notes, this, concept of this tefillah from God that we try to say every day. And I think in many ways, as we saw with, with Jeremiah's source, it's like on the one hand, how we hope God is going to act with us, right? And then it reminds us, oh, like how we should, right? What what our attitude is towards, um, towards others. Um, so I hope in learning some of these sources, um, we can think about ways of um, the destructive power of anger, um, even when we think we're maybe being constructive with it, like doing things that look destructive um, to calm ourselves and thinking about, okay, are those things actually, right? What's the harm we are doing in those situations just to calm ourselves down um, and working ourselves towards a place of right more inner, um, more inner calm. Um, thank you all for joining. Um, next week will be our last, um, our last session of this particular series, and we're going to look at um, the idea of, of peace of mind, of Nahar um, Ruach and Terdav being sort of like over um, overcome with things. Yeah.
0: So thank you everyone. Have a wonderful thank night. You. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Victoria, and thank you thank everyone you. for your questions and comments. Really making our learning experience. Um, just a quick Drisha announcement: there is still time to apply for the Drisha Summer Kollel. Um, and also, if you know any amazing uh, tell me Dot in uh, middle school or high school, the Drisha Summer Program for girls in middle school and high school uh uh is still the applications are still open you can find out about all those things and all of our upcoming classes at trisha.org. so see you next week thank you,
2: thank you.